0: Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now?
1: But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say
2: What?
0: (laughs) Dear God, she's going to kill us all.
2: Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair.
3: And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the
2: trivia, and the
3: fun of WKRP.
2: So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm
3: at
0: WKRP
3: in
2: Cincinnati.
3: Welcome back to the WKRP cast. I don't know about you, but I gotta dance. Donna, what is our episode?
2: Today we're talking about Dr. Fever and Mr. Tide, part one. The air date was the 7th of February, 1981. Written by Steve Marshall, story editor Lisa Levin, executive story consultants Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Directed by Rod Daniel. Johnny hosts a rock and roll dance show to earn extra money. He thinks he's going to be able to do the show his way, but he finds that he must wear their outfits and play their songs. He creates a new personality, Rip Tide, to do the show. And
3: I love this episode so much. I really think it is because of Howard Hessman and the whole creation of Rip The premise of this episode is a dance show produced by what appears to be a local TV station. In the early 1980s, we were curious if such a thing was actually happening. A dance show in the early 80s seemed like a network undertaking. It's true, two of the biggest and most watched national music and dance shows, American Bandstand and Soul Train, both started out as locally produced shows. But those had happened more than a decade earlier. Dick Clark's bandstand started on a local Philadelphia station in 1952, and the Don Cornelius-hosted Soul Train was originally produced in Chicago starting in 1970.
2: We discovered there's a long history of locally produced music shows coming out of both Cincinnati and Ohio, one of the very first, Midwestern Hayride was produced on Cincinnati's WLW radio starting in the mid-1930s, then on WLWT-TV starting in 1948. It would air nationally as Hayride on NBC, then on ABC in the 1950s. Hey Ride was more focused on the music, with less emphasis on dancing. It did start a long tradition of recording stars showing up in studio to perform their hits.
3: Throughout the 50s and 60s, both Cincinnati and Dayton would produce a number of teen music and dance shows. Hosts like Nick Clooney, George Clooney's father, Bob Braun and George Clooney's other aunt, Betty Clooney, All hosted locally produced teen dance and music shows. One of the most interesting we found was Swim and Swing, coming to you live every Saturday afternoon from a motel swimming pool somewhere in Dayton.
2: Put on that bikini. But were local music shows being produced in 1980? Surprisingly, quite a few local dance shows were very popular at the time this episode aired. A show called Dancin' On Air, based out of Philadelphia, premiered in 1981. It would jump from local station WPHL to become huge in syndication. Dancin' On Air was eventually renamed Dance Party USA. Elsewhere, a local Detroit dance show called The Scene was a staple of WGPR-TV from 1972 until 1987. We also found references to locally produced dance shows in San Antonio, Philly, and San Diego, all happening in the late 70s and early 80s.
3: If you think Rip Tide is a strange host for a teen dance show, check this out. We found a reference to a DC area dance show called "The Moon Man Space Connection." It was hosted by WEBB Baltimore DJ Willie Moonman Bacody. The Moon <laughs> Man would sit in a flying saucer suspended above the crowds who were dancing down on Earth, or, you know, the studio floor. <laughs> The Moon Man was a big guy, so big he couldn't really get out of his saucer. <laughs> he would send his spandex-clad assistants down to Earth to interview both dancers and performers. The Moon Man show was huge. It ran from 1975 through the late 1980s.
2: Although Gotta Dance is stylistically ripping off national shows like Solid Gold, Dance Fever, and American Bandstand, We don't think it would have been unusual to find a locally produced dance and music show in the 1980s. We doubt the production quality on any of the local shows was as high as what we're seeing on Gotta Dance, but that's the Hollywood influence.
3: All right, let's get into the episode. We start out in the studio at the station, which normally means a poster watch, but not today. It looks like everything has stayed the same as what we saw in Frog Story. The one change is the addition of the John and Yoko picture on the studio door and a headshot of John on the wall behind the board. For details on the John Lennon pictures, check out our Venus and the Man podcast episode.
2: As we fade up in the studio, Bailey is sitting on the stool reading a copy of the Cincinnati Inquirer from January 5th of 1981. That was a Monday, so this episode most likely shot on January 9th of 81. We were thinking this was the last episode shot before the holiday break, but it looks like it was the first one shot after they got back. According to Michael Castle in America's Favorite Radio Station, this hour-long episode was shot in one night. Johnny is at the mic and Venus is organizing record albums. Now let's take a look at Venus's vibin threads. Venus is wearing a purple turtleneck sweater under a white terry cloth jacket that is tied with a belt. He's also wearing purple pants. There's a pin on the left side of the jacket. Venus tosses some albums on Bailey's lap.
4: Uh-uh, country and western is blue.
1: Great. I gotta spend my morning color coding albums while Andy's off somewhere having a vacation.
3: Uh why are they color-coding country? WKRP is very definitely rock and roll. Art doesn't seem to have any other stations hiding in the building, so we're wondering why any country would be on the shelves at WKRP, blue or otherwise.
0: Hot mic. Available now in the greater Cincinnati area, and it's 20 minutes before 10 on the Mighty KRP. This is your house physician, delving deep into his little black bag for a dose of medicinal music from way back in 1965, Mr. Wilson Pickett.
2: We hear Land of a Thousand Dances by Wilson Pickett. Johnny head bobs to the song for a few seconds before turning the volume in the studio down. Land
3: of a Thousand Dances is a tune with a great story. It was written and first recorded by New Orleans R&B performer Chris Kenner. Kenner had a number 77 hit with it in 1962. Kenner's original lyrics listed 16 different dances. In 1965, Cannibal and the Headhunters recorded the song with a new hook, the Nanas. Nanas. They weren't a part of Kanner's original lyrics. The Nanas, it turns out, were a vamp because lead singer Frankie Cannibal Garcia forgot the words. Even the melody is different in that section.
2: We'd also like to point out Johnny announced the wrong year for the single. Pickett recorded his version of the song in May of 1966, not 1965. With the Muscle Shoals rhythm section and the Memphis horns backing him, he knocked out his biggest ever pop hit. The single peaked at number six on July 30th of
0: 1966. Got to know how to it.
2: Another interesting note about this one, some versions list a co-writer, Antoine Domino, also known as Fats Domino. He didn't really help write it, but Fats told Kenner he would record the song if Kenner cut him in on half of the royalties. Now that's some good business uh, action right there.
3: That was pretty common back at that time. Chuck Berry was also known for doing that kind of thing. He'd find a hot band and he knew they only had one good song. He'd want co-writing credit.
1: Mm. You know, it really hurts me to think you're going to do this, man.
3: I mean, I can't believe it. It's so shallow. Bailey disagrees with Venus. She tells them she thinks it'll be fun and good for Johnny's career. Venus says Johnny has a career.
1: Right. All I need is money. <laughs> it's always the money, isn't it? You know you used to be my idol, man? Because yeah. you were different. I mean, you stayed away from things like this. Need I remind
0: you that I have two growing ex-wives to support?
1: <laughs> you have any idea how much it costs to keep bitter, vindictive women happy? <laughs>
2: Bailey looks up from her newspaper. You did television before, didn't you, Johnny? Johnny says that once he did a little commercial, but it wasn't very good. It was
4: good. It was 150 rock and roll classics for a dollar. Johnny
2: said they were not good and only 20 seconds long. (laughs) Johnny tells him all he has to do is what he's doing here, except they will be pointing a camera at him and give him $500 a week.
3: Uh, let's break down Johnny's sideline payday real fast. We find out the new show is daily, so that $500 a week is for five one hour shows. It doesn't sound like a whole lot for a TV gig, but it's a fortune in Johnny's world. We know from season one, Jennifer's the highest paid employee at the station. She's making $24,000 a year. That's roughly $500 a week. Johnny's new TV gig would be adding Jennifer's salary on top of his DJ salary. As Bailey says, Johnny needs the money.
2: Johnny agrees. I owe Bailey a A lot. Bailey looks at Venus. You know how much he owes me? Johnny quickly looks over at Venus saying he knows, he knows, he owes him too.
0: What I think were rigged football games... (laughs) (laughs)
2: Venus tells Johnny they were not rigged.
3: Come on,
0: man. There was something deeply weird about that Ohio State game.
1: (laughs) You lost that game fair and square, Mr. TV.
3: Johnny says he is not Mr. TV. He goes on to say TV never presents rock and roll well, which is true. I think I've got a chance here to kind of make Do you think they're going to let you do what you want to do? Johnny explains to Venus they hired him, and he doesn't think they will pay him for something he can't do. Venus! I think you're jealous. Jealous? Yeah. I can do television. I've done it before. Johnny asks Venus what he did. Venus answers in a really quiet, muffled voice. A what? A kitty show.
2: <laughs> Johnny chuckles and points at him. Uncle Venus. Venus is not smiling.
1: No, I was Sailor Ned.
2: <laughs> Bailey laughs. She leans toward Johnny. Sailor Ned!
1: (laughs) And that's exactly what you're going to be. Anyway, Bailey, I want you to know I appreciate your support in this.
2: Johnny asks if Bailey will take him down there. Oh, no, Johnny, I've I've got something important to do. Bailey bunches up the newspaper and opens the door to leave. Johnny asks her what she has to do. I don't know, but I remember it as being something extremely important. Bailey exits the studio.
3: Venus tells
0: Johnny he'll take him. Well, oh, no, man, I don't want you to come near a TV station that some of it might rub off on.
3: You. Venus insists he'll take him, and he'll walk him in so he doesn't bump into anything. <laughs> Johnny tells him he'll walk, hitchhike, he'll be all right. It's awful hard to say no to Uncle Ned. <laughs> Sailor Ned
2: Johnny gets ready to intro the next song Venus begins reminiscing out loud about his days as Sailor Ned
1: That little dance
2: Venus does a little sailor skip to the left and the right with the arm movements Yeah, I have
1: my own theme song and everything
2: And as Venus mentions his theme song, we head into our theme
0: WKRP
3: in Cincinnati come back from the break on an outside shot of a television studio. We cut to Venus and Johnny walking onto a darkened television set. Hey, John, this is show business. Johnny marvels at the lavish setup. He says he just requested a couple of good turntables. Johnny steps up onto a black stage that has a turntable on counters on either side. There are lights all around the stage and signs with a 70s-looking Gotta Dance logo Hanging down in several places. A woman comes walking quickly over to Johnny holding out her arms for a hug. Johnny grabs her around the waist and gives her a kiss on each cheek. This is my man, Venus Flytrap. This is Avis Dropkin. She hired me.
2: Avis Dropkin is being played by Mary Fran. First off, let's talk about that character name. We couldn't find a single person named Avis Dropkin anywhere in the world. There are a few Dropkins in New York and Maryland, but no Avis. Mary Fran, who's playing Avis, was born Mary Frances Lukey on February 27, 1943, in St. Louis, Missouri. She was a child model and acted in local television commercials. When she was 18, Mary won the title of America's Junior Miss. She attended Northwestern University to study drama, but dropped out in 1964.
3: Mary moved to Chicago, where she became both a morning show host and a weather person. Her acting career began on the big screen in the 1966 movie Nashville Rebel. In addition to numerous guest star roles, Mary appeared on 228 episodes of Daytime Soap, Days of Our Lives, and she was Bob Newhart's sweater-clad wife, on 184 episodes of New Heart from 1982 until 1990. Mary had a weight obsession that may have killed her. After years of diet pills, calorie counting, and intense exercise, Mary suffered from a heart arrhythmia. She died of a heart attack in her sleep in September of 1998. She was only 55 years old.
2: Venus shakes hands with Avis. I know Venus. Venus. I listen to you all the time. I love your stuff. Avis looks at Venus and tells him he might be right for another show they're developing. Venus smiles, his eyes wide. Really?
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I, uh, He doesn't think. like television. Oh, yeah, I do.
2: <laughs> Venus then begins telling Avis he used to be, uh... Ned, but she really isn't listening. Really? Excuse me just one second. Avis looks at Johnny. I've got a surprise for you. You stay right there. Avis hurries off.
3: Venus looks at
1: Johnny. Yeah, hey, I see why you took this gig. That's a nice looking lady. Oh, come on. You don't think another pretty face going to turn my head, do you? Right off your shoulders.
3: <laughs> Johnny tells Venus it's just for the money, that's all.
2: <laughs>
0: the rest of this is just gravy. Wish I had a biscuit.
2: A voice over a loud speaker interrupts their conversation. Okay, eat them up, George. Suddenly, the lights surrounding the stage and all of the cheesy Gotta Dance signage lights up. The lights along the stage are chase lights, and there are colored floodlights all around. Man, this is
1: incredible. Look at this.
2: Yeah, this kind of makes you want
1: to dance, doesn't it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Avis comes back out with a man following her. He is carrying a cardboard stand-up with the back of it to the camera. Avis asks him to set it down. He turns it around and stands it up right next to Johnny.
3: It is a life-size stand-up of Johnny in a white (laughs) Saturday Night Fever outfit doing the famous John Travolta pose. He's holding a box in one hand with a sign that reads, Fever Hot 10 of the Week. There are some albums in the box. Johnny backs up as if someone pushed him, almost falling off the stage when he sees the stand-up. Avis asks Johnny what he thinks. Johnny's in shock. (laughs) He asks Avis, what's that for?
4: We're going to put these in every record store in Cincinnati, and that is just the beginning. Johnny is
3: shaking his head no, emphatically. No, 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 Avis. Uh,
1: It's it's bad trick photography. The the, the head's too small for the body. It is? I don't worry; it'll work. Your head is too small for your body.
2: Johnny thanks Ned, or Venus, for his comment, then lifts the albums out of the stand-up box.
0: Let's see what we've got here. Barry Manilow, Barry Gibb, Barry White. You forgot Barry Goldwater.
3: All right, let's talk about this Barry joke. We've covered both Barry Manilow and Barry White previously on the podcast. Barry Gibb, although a great entry in the Barry trilogy, didn't actually have an album out at this time. The one Johnny flips by is the duet that he did with Barbara Streisand. Barry actually hadn't been a solo act for 10 years, and he wouldn't go back to doing solo work until 1983. The Barry we haven't talked about is Goldwater, Barry Goldwater was a highly influential five-term Republican senator from Arizona who also ran for president in 1964.
2: Goldwater lost in a landslide to Lyndon Johnson, but Goldwater's influence on conservatism and the Republican Party is said to have set the table for Ronald Reagan's eventual win in 1980. When Goldwater retired from the Senate in 1987, his seat would go to up-and-coming Arizona political star John McCain. Fun Barry Goldwater trivia and a callback to Venus and the Man, Goldwater's Arizona license plate was A-U-H-2-O. A-U is the periodic table symbol for gold, and H-2-O is, of course, water.
3: Avis tells Johnny she's sorry. She thought he'd like it. Not too much. Avis tells Johnny he'll get used to it. It's television. Johnny taps the albums he's holding and tells Avis he can't play that stuff. Picking up his shoulder bag, he tells Avis he brought some records. The my brothers, Ray Charles,
4: Buddy Holly. Listen to me. This is just for the opening show. It's just for the premiere. Get it off to a big push, you know. Then we'll go from
2: there. Johnny looks at her.
1: Why don't we push off in the right direction.
2: Avis puts her hands on Johnny's chest and tells him to trust her. She knows what she's doing. She tells Johnny he's just a little nervous. Then she tells Johnny it's getting close to airtime. He needs to go change. Well, Johnny tells Avis he was just going to wear what he had on. Johnny holds his jacket open to show his black t-shirt, with the words rock and roll in white on the front. Oh, Johnny, no, you can't wear that. You've got a whole wardrobe in your dressing room. It's over there. She adds he'll need some makeup. She points him in the direction of his dressing room, telling him she'll meet him in there. She turns and walks away, yelling,
4: Max, you made that damn head too small. Uh Yeah,
3: we heard it too. When she referred to the guy with the stand-up as Max, we thought, Hold on, could that be associate producer Max Tosh? According to Max, they used his name, but that's not him. Max did give us a tidbit. There's an upcoming episode where Max does get some camera time. He wouldn't tell us which one, but we'll be keeping our eyes and ears open. Now, in the real world, springing all of this stuff on Johnny right before the premiere of the first show is fun, but... It would never happen on an actual television show. A new show like this, especially a live show, would have had several rehearsals and run-throughs before it ever got to air. In the tradition of Bailey's show and Sparky, WKRP always skips the show prep.
2: Johnny looks at Venus, who's rolling his eyes.
3: Wardrobe. <laughs> Probably a clown suit. <laughs>
2: I told you
1: this was going to happen.
2: Johnny tells Venus it's not going to happen like this. You just have to straighten her out. It's simple.
1: In the meantime, you can put on some makeup. Maybe some rouge, a little lipstick. Yeah, yeah. Is that what De Fireman Ned used to do? Sailor Ned.
3: <laughs> so they kept going back to Sailor Ned so often we had to check. A quick Google of Sailor Ned turned up a Ned character in the Sailor Moon universe who is referred to as Sailor Ned. Now, since Sailor Moon's first episode didn't air until 1992... We think Venus is the original.
2: (laughs) And now we get to see Johnny's dressing room.
3: Wow, this is nice.
2: Johnny tells him it's just a dressing room.
0: And you don't think the doctor's going to be bought out by a dressing room? Johnny
2: turns and comes face to face with a bar full of all kinds of liquor.
0: With a fully stocked bar.
2: (laughs) Venus is looking around rubbing his hands together. I wonder what
1: she's going to do to the other show. Your show. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, just a thought. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Johnny tells Venus he will find out soon. Avis will call him, invite him out for dinner. Johnny pops the cork on some champagne, and then he looks at the bottle.
1: Boy, we must have put
0: down about five bottles of this over our dinner.
3: Venus tells Johnny he bets they did. We're just on the contract at the dinner table at her apartment. Johnny says he doesn't really remember. He tells Venus it's just a standard contract, nothing special. Well, I hope you had a lawyer look it over.
0: Hey, man, I can read. I half signed a few contracts in my day, you know. How do you think I got where I am?
2: Now, quick recap as to where the doctor is. He's the morning man on the 14th ranked station in the 33rd largest market <laughs> in the U.S. Maybe he should have had other people reading his contracts. Yeah. We hear Avis's voice outside the door Knock,
4: knock. Are you decent?
2: No, I'm not. You hurry on in here. Avis comes in. She sees the champagne Johnny's drinking and asks if she can pour herself one. Help yourself. Not too much for you before airtime, though. Johnny tells Avis he wants to have a little chat. There are problems. Avis notices Johnny hasn't changed yet. She goes over to the closet and opens the door to reveal his wardrobe. Hanging inside are about a dozen colorful suits, either covered in sequins or made of shiny gold lamé material. She is so proud of them.
4: Wait till you see these, Johnny!
1: <laughs> Holy cow! That's really nice. Really,
2: uh... Venus has jumped up out of his chair and is looking at the suits. They are some vibin threads.
0: I'm supposed to wear these? <laughs> yeah.
3: Which brings us to the line of the episode.
1: What if people are eating while they're watching?
0: <laughs> Davis
3: looks hurt.
4: What is wrong? I,
0: I picked these out myself. Johnny tells her it's all disco. Disco is dead, thank God.
2: <laughs> now, disco officially died July 12th of 1979. That was the date of Chicago DJs Steve Dahl and Gary Myers' famous disco demolition at Comiskey Park. Between games and a White Sox doubleheader, a sellout crowd of more than 40,000 watched doll detonate a dumpster full of disco records in center field. The crowd went nuts, and they stormed the field. The resulting riot led to nine injuries, 39 arrests, and the cancellation of the second game. This one event is considered to mark the death of disco.
3: Avis tells Johnny, it's a dance show. It's visual. It's physical. It's TV. Johnny grabs a bottle of champagne and takes a big swig. I
4: mean, kids don't dance to the Grateful Dead.
3: This causes Johnny to (laughs) spit out the champagne. Avis tells Johnny, sure, she loves the dead. Johnny loves the dead, everybody does. Let's
4: get a little mellow and listen to them sometime, but not here. Here is different, right, baby? Here we dance.
3: Avis tells Johnny to get dressed. And a quick FYI, the Grateful Dead were an American band formed in San Francisco, California in 1965. They were founded by Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, Ron Pigpen McKernan, Phil Lesh, and Bill Kreutzman. The dead were known for their country, folk, jazz, and blues-infused rock, coupled with long instrumental jams. The dead disbanded in 1995 following the death of co-founder and key member Jerry Garcia.
2: Johnny looks at
0: Avis. I don't do disco. It's like the man says, it's got to be rock and roll music if you want to dance with
3: me. The man Johnny's referring to is Chuck Berry. Johnny's quoting from Chuck's 1957 hit, Rock and Roll Music. It was released in September of 1957. It would peak at number eight on the Hot 100 before the end of the year. It's been covered by both the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Rock and roll music, the Chuck Berry version, is listed at number 128 on the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. It's also on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll.
0: Gotta be rock and roll music if you wanna dance with me,
4: if you wanna dance with me. Like the lady says,
2: let's get dressed. I remember that. (laughs) He tells Avis he will dress the way he's dressed and play the records he plays. She tells him no. Johnny looks at his watch. Looks like it's time for Gotta Walk. Johnny grabs his shoulder bag and starts to open the door. Venus starts to explain to Avis about Johnny and why he won't play what she wants.
3: Avis holds up her hand to stop. Venus. She tells Johnny a lot of people have worked very hard on Gotta Dance. She tells him a lot of jobs are on the line, including hers. I'm sorry. He's sorry. He really is sorry. Avis continues, telling him he can't leave when they're 45 minutes away from going on air. I didn't know it was going to be like this. He didn't know. Can't you
0: just...
1: Find somebody else? You can find somebody else. Uh, Samurai Ned is here.
2: (laughs) I like the way Venus tries to speak up and be spokesperson for Johnny. It's like he's his
3: agent or something.
2: Avis tells them she doesn't want anybody else. She wants Johnny Fever. She explains if he walks out the door, they will call it breach of contract.
3: They?
0: uh, Who are they?
2: Avis tells him the people who own this station and five other ones. Now,
4: I won't be able to stop them from suing you, and they will.
1: So let (laughs) them.
2: Johnny looks at Venus, then nods his head in agreement. Avis tries the sweet-talking route. Do you think I want
4: to see that happen?
2: I mean, after... Baby,
4: come on.
3: Venus asks Avis if she's ever tried to get blood out of a stone. A well, stone's his middle name. Avis tells them their backs are up against the wall. She tells Johnny she cares about him and doesn't want to see him end up with nothing. Listen, honey, uh, I've been living on
0: next to nothing for most of my life.
4: Well, listen, honey, you try living on a fourth of next to nothing for the rest of your life. Because it'll mean garnishment of your salary, and they will do it.
3: Avis tells Johnny not to be a fool. She has big plans for both him and the show. She
2: tells him they'll make him pay if he screws this up. Johnny asks once more for her to please find someone else. She tells him she doesn't want somebody else.
4: I hired you, Johnny Fever, to get out there and smile and laugh and dance and shake your booty. Because that's what those kids expect in my darling.
2: That is exactly what you are going to give them. She tells him she doesn't like talking like this. I'm a nice person, you know that. She tells Johnny to shave, pick out an outfit, and get ready to dance. (laughs) She heads to the door, telling them she needs to finish setting up. I will be out there waiting for you. And one more thing. Good luck, baby. I love you. Avis kisses Johnny on the cheek and leaves, slamming the door behind her.
3: Now this scene raises a big question. Why did they pick Johnny? If Avis listened at all to the doctor's morning show, she'd know he's not a disco kind of guy. He's personable on the air. He's moving up in the ratings and he won the morning show award from the Cincinnati broadcasters. So he has some cred, but he's not a gotta dance kind of DJ. Maybe he was the first one who said yes, or possibly he was the only one who would work for $100 a show.
2: Venus and Johnny look at each other. They both smile, and Venus kind of chuckles nervously. Johnny tells him it doesn't worry him. Nah. Venus reaches for the doorknob. Hey, are you going to split?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to get back to radio.
3: You remember radio? How about you?
2: (laughs) Johnny tells Venus he thinks he better stay and make it clear where he stands on this television thing. Venus
3: is wanting out of there. He tells Johnny, talk to her. Make it clear what he won't play and won't wear.
1: Right, records are closed and
3: everything. Yeah, Yeah, right, right, right. Venus starts to close the door behind him when Johnny calls his name. Hey, Venus. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Venus's arm comes back through the small (laughs) opening of the door and he gives Johnny a black power fist pump. The door then quickly shuts. Johnny picks up the bottle of champagne and takes another big swig. Looks like
1: it's time for Gotta
2: Walk. We transition to the bullpen where Les, Jennifer Bailey, and Mr. Carlson are all gathered around a small TV sitting on the DJ desk. Les asks how much time they have. Jennifer tells him she doesn't know. The set doesn't work. We hear Herb's voice yell from off camera. I need more (laughs) cord. As we see the TV slide about eight inches across the desk. Mr. Carlson tells Les to turn on the TV.
3: I
0: want to see somebody I know personally on TV.
3: And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman.
2: Right ring finger and pinky finger.
3: This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper cob, award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Herb yells again. I
4: need more cord! Herb, that's all the cord you're
3: going to get. The TV finally comes on. Bailey's nervous and tells them she'd be fainting by now. Herb pops up from behind the desk. Oh, we know Bailey. Big deal.
1: I was on TV once, coast to coast. Real families, remember that?
2: That's right, Herb. You were a national disgrace. This is only local. Right. Venus comes into the bullpen.
1: Venus, you you got here. Just in time to see what they're going to do without fever. They
2: all look at Venus.
1: What? Big misunderstanding. Yeah, but my man turned them down. I'm pretty
2: sure he did. Carlson asks. Well, what are they going to do? Jennifer tells them all to shush. It's starting. Happy Radio!
3: We transition to the television studio and the set of Gotta Dance. We hear the show's theme song, H-A-P-P-Y Radio, by Edwin Starr.
2: H-A-P-P-Y Radio was a minor 1979 disco hit from American soul singer Edwin Starr. It peaked at number 79 on the U.S. Hot 100, but it was big in Britain. H-A-P-P-Y Radio went to number 6 on the U.K. singles chart.
0: We're gonna hear them.
3: There are dancers dancing as the announcer introduces the host. Get ready, Cincinnati, because here's the show that's got the town's toes a tapping. Gotta dance! And here's your host, our own afternoon consulting physician, the man himself, Dr. Johnny Fever! We see Johnny come into view through fog as he jumps onto a small trampoline and lands on the stage. He's wearing shiny red pants, a red shirt with a shiny red jacket all highlighted with sequins and this enormous red cap and white shoes. He grabs a microphone, he struggles with the cord as he brings it up to his mouth to speak. We get a shot of the KRP staff in the bullpen watching in disbelief. Howdy
0: hi guys and gals! Hey, it's time for Gotta Dance! And we got a stack of whites from the beef for your feet. But first, a few words about Dr. Johnny Fever. Turns out the cat was a prima donna, so who needs him, huh? Right, man was definitely stuck back in the 60s. And these are the 80s. So let's move with today. Let's move with the groove. Let's ride the tide. And that's me, Rip Tide, And I got it dance. All right. Let's do it, Cincinnati. You ready? Let's start off with that enchantress from the silver screen. The incredibly soulful, Miss Oblivious Neutron Bomb. <laughs>
2: Johnny Starts Xanadu by Olivia Newton-John and we get all kinds of shots of people dancing in that close-up frenetic American bandstand Soul Train style. There are several shots of Riptide dancing as well. Howard Hessman mentioned he was physically exhausted after shooting this episode. Between the dancing and channeling Rip for a full hour, it wore him out.
3: Rip kicked things off with a big one. The single Xanadu is the title track from the movie soundtrack. Although the movie was a weird disco roller skating mess that bombed at the box office, the soundtrack was huge. Double platinum huge. Both this one and Magic would hit number one on the U.S. Hot 100. Side one of the original album was all songs written by John Farrar and performed by Olivia Newton-John. Side two was all songs written by Brit Jeff Lynn and performed by his band, the Electric Light Orchestra. This cut, the title track, was the last song on side two with music by ELO, vocals by ONJ. How could it not be a huge hit?
2: And I had that soundtrack.
3: Everybody had that soundtrack. Oh,
2: and all the girls on my floor at college, we went to see the movie. We played that record to death. We go to the bullpen where the staff of WKRP is gathered around a small television. Good gravy. Puke. Amazing.
1: I don't believe it. I don't either. I mean, imagine Johnny quitting and giving up all that money.
2: (laughs) Jennifer tells Herb... That is Johnny. I knew that. He knew that. He always knows that. Of course he knew that. The scene closes with one more shot of Johnny, I mean Rip Tide, dancing his heart out as the picture fades.
3: And wow, Howard Hessman did have to work a lot during this one.
2: It was a workout.
3: Yeah. We head into the bullpen where it's the next morning. Les is reading the newspaper.
2: Johnny's all over the entertainment section
3: this morning. Interesting to note, this is at a time when nothing really happened unless it got reported in the paper. This is a newsman at a radio station reading a newspaper to find out what happened on a TV station. Herb tells Les he doesn't mean Johnny he means Riptide. Why couldn't he become famous here at KRP?
2: Herb is already seeing the profit potential in Rip. He's ching. I love how
3: sleaze attracts sleaze. <laughs> Les hands the paper over to Herb. This review says he's the hottest thing to hit Cincinnati since Rosemary Clooney. Oh.
2: Actually, the whole Clooney clan had a pretty profound impact on Cincinnati. Rosemary was born in Maysville, Kentucky in May of 1928. She was one of five children. In 1945, Rosemary and her sister Betty won a spot on Cincinnati's WLW radio as singers. Rosemary made her first recordings starting in 1946.
3: Rosemary's national singing breakthrough came in 1951 with her single, Come On to My House, produced by Mitch Miller. Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you candy. Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you apple, plum, and I forgot do Come on to my house, my house, come on. Clooney hated that song, but was forced to record it under her Columbia contract. Clooney would star in White Christmas with Bing Crosby and Danny Kay in 1954, launching her acting career. Clooney's sister Betty remained in Cincinnati, performing and hosting on both radio and TV. Her brother, Nick, was a Cincinnati TV and radio newsman, oh yeah, and also father of George Clooney.
2: Bailey is sitting back on the couch, still in disbelief and... Looking a little disgusted. Why
4: did he do it? Amazing! I I don't understand it. Why would he make such a fool out of himself?
2: Herb tells Bailey he thought Johnny did a very nice job. Oh, it was sickening. Okay, it was sickening, but it worked, so it's good. (laughs) Les
3: comments he doesn't know if it was good or bad. I guess that's a point in my favor. Herb leans back in his chair. He's a star. A TV star. Les tells Herb he's only been on one day. Herb tells Les, hey, that's how television works. You've got one day to make it or you're gone.
2: (laughs) Johnny walks into the bullpen. He says hi to Bailey and to Les. Les is gushing. thank you, (laughs) before heading out of the bullpen toward the studio. Johnny's hair is two-toned. The top of his head, the part that the cap covered, is his natural hair color. The hair that was visible under the riptide cap is dyed black. Even his mustache and sideburns have been blackened. Herb says hello to Johnny and we get a good look at Herb's suit when he stands.
3: And I think
2: it's time
3: herb darling fashion alert
2: herb is wearing a three piece suit that is different shades of green with white stitching around the collar pockets and seams. The suit has a shimmer to it. He has a white striped dress shirt with a multicolored striped tie. He's also wearing his white shoes.
3: Is this suit one we've seen before? I think it It, is. It looks familiar. I remember the chalk lines. Yeah, and I
2: always thought it looked like a watermelon.
3: Kind of, yeah, with those lines (laughs) through it. Herb asks Johnny how he's feeling. Johnny tells him, same as usual. Herb asks John if he's seen the paper. Herb is enthralled by Johnny's TV stardom. Maybe he's attracted by the hint of sleaziness or the possible profit. Whatever it is, he's so distracted, he walks on the couch as he's talking to Johnny. Johnny tells Herb, it's just a bunch of hype. Johnny starts to fill his coffee mug when Herb grabs Johnny's mug. I get that. I get that. Oh, thanks.
2: <laughs> Johnny asked Herb if he liked Riptide. Oh, I loved him. It was genius. I Genius. Yeah. Oh, everybody loves you. Johnny thanks, Herb. You're welcome, Rip. Johnny asks Bailey what she thought. Why don't you wash that stuff out of your hair?
1: I tried. It won't come out.
2: (laughs) Johnny asks her again what she thought of Rip. Bailey stammers. Well, Johnny can tell she's beating around the bush, not being truthful. He tells Bailey, tell the truth. Oh, Johnny, I hated
4: it. Why did you do it? Why? How could you do
2: this to yourself?
4: Johnny
3: says he had to do it. It was the contract and legal stuff. Johnny tells her he doesn't feel bad about doing it. He came up with Riptide to save his own skin. As Johnny's explaining to Bailey, he looks around for a place to sit. Herb, still enthralled, quickly clears off a corner of Bailey's desk so Johnny can sit down. Johnny tells Bailey he lucked into a great scam. I let this guy rip
1: tight to go on a goon binge for an hour a day. I pick up his paycheck.
3: I mean, it's a great con. you see what I'm saying? I lucked into a good thing. I like goon binge, too.
1: <laughs>
3: I guess. Holy
1: macrimony. I mean, the guy's getting it from both sides now. For the first time in his... Miserable excuse for a career.
2: (laughs) Herb walks over and is rubbing Johnny's shoulders. He tells Johnny, This is going to be big.
1: Dick Clark started out with a little local show, and the next thing you know, bingo, he's in 2,000 markets. And you know what? He never ages. Never.
3: (laughs) Now, Herb is a little bit off with his Dick Clark info. Yes, American Bandstand started as a local dance show on WFIL TV in Philadelphia. The show started in 1952, but it was hosted at that time by radio DJ Bob Horn. Horn was the one who pushed for the format, featuring kids dancing on camera as records played. In 1956, Horn was arrested on drunk driving charges and was implicated in a prostitution ring. Busy guy. The glamorous life of a DJ. (laughs) Horn was brought up on morals charges and booted from the show.
2: We're going hoppin', we're
1: going hoppin' today When things are poppin', the Philadelphia way We're going to drop it, and all the music they play On the bass
2: Dick Clark took over shortly after in 1956. In 1957, ABC was looking for a show to fill an afternoon time slot. Clark pitched Bandstand to the network and it got picked up. Clark would eventually buy the show and produce it through his Dick Clark Productions. Clark hosted the show for more than 3,000 episodes until its final season in 1989. Clark famously fended off Father Time for a while at least. In 2004, he suffered a stroke, which left him unable to speak clearly. He died in April of 2012 at the age of 82. As for 2000 markets, not quite. There are only 210 TV markets in the United States. <laughs>
3: eh, Herb was getting a little excited. So Bailey rolls her eyes saying, that's Dick Clark.
2: Riptide is not going to get 2,000 markets.
3: Johnny tells Bailey, this could be really big. This gets Herb's attention. He asks, how big?
1: My producer says that the station is a uh Looking for somebody to syndicate the show regionally.
3: Herb asks Johnny if he can get in on this somehow. Well, I mean, I could be your uh, publicist or anything.
1: It is television. There's probably plenty of room
3: for guys like you. Yeah. (laughs) Herb agrees, nodding his head, completely missing the insult.
2: Bailey looks at Herb and says sarcastically, You could be the next Alan Carr.
3: Alan Carr,
2: right. Johnny can't hide his excitement as he explains to Bailey what his producer told him.
0: If I understand my producer, what we have to get is a prime demographic uh, demographic in each of the top ten markets.
1: And the secondaries will
0: fall in line. Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) Johnny goes on to say it's a rolling market strategy where the rate card is based on the demographic slew. Skew. Skew, that's the word. I knew it. Yeah, our skew is uh, heavy on teens, but if we can get the
0: secondary and temporary... (laughs) Tertiary. Tertiary 18 to 34s, we get a shot at the prime advertising dollar.
3: Johnny is now having a conversation pretty much just with her. Bailey has walked away... She's looking incredulously at Herb and Johnny. God, I love it. Bailey's
2: standing (laughs) over by the window. Do you realize that you just used the word skew
4: and the word tertiary?
2: Johnny tells her yes.
0: It wasn't me talking. Uh,
1: That was uh, a riptide. Am I right, Herb? Oh, you're so right. I'm about to paint. Herb
2: is so excited. He looks like he's about to burst or wet his (laughs) pants. Johnny tells Bailey the doctor is too cool to be discussing this nonsense. And
3: yeah, most of this really is nonsense. Well, demographics, skew, and tertiary are all real words used by rating companies like Nielsen. None of what these two are saying really means a whole lot. It's just great to see Herb and Rip bonding over greed. And it's kind of impressive to hear Herb actually knows some of the lingo.
2: Yeah, yeah, he acts like he knows what he's talking about. Using his riptide voice, Johnny looks at Herb and motions to Bailey. What does
3: she know?
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Right. What do you know, right? right. Right.
2: Johnny looks at his watch.
0: I'll tell you what I know, though. I gotta dance. Oh, me too. (laughs) Ciao, kids.
2: (laughs) Johnny walks out of the bullpen. Herb is dancing and snapping his fingers. Then he sits down quickly at his desk and picks up his phone. I gotta find out who in the hell Alan Carr is. (laughs) I love Howard Hessman is just
3: chewing the scenery as Rip. I just so love that Rip character. Well, we also had to find out who the hell Alan Carr was, and we're not talking about the British comedian Alan Carr. He was born in 1976, and he spells his name A-L-A-N. The guy Herb's calling about spells his name A-L-L-A-N and was born in 1937 in Chicago. Born Alan Solomon, Alan Carr was a producer, screenwriter, manager, and just a general power broker. In 1966, he founded talent agency Alan Carr Enterprises, where he managed actors like Tony Curtis, Peter Sellers, and Marlo Thomas. Wow. In the 70s, Carr was hired by producer Robert Stigwood of RSO as a marketing and promotion consultant. Carr's first promotion project was the film version of The Who's rock opera Tommy.
2: Carr knew how to throw a party. He turned the premiere of 1977's Saturday Night Fever into a star studded television special. In 1978, Carr produced the premiere party and television special for the premiere of the movie Grease, which also happened to star his client, Olivia Newton John. In 1979, Carr stepped into the role of producer. He produced a movie starring the Village People and Steve Guttenberg called Can't Stop the Music. The film came out in 1980 after Disco was dead. It was a major flop. It was such a flop, Carr won the first ever Golden Raspberry Award for Best Picture. That's right. Alan Carr is the reason we have the Razzies.
3: The very first Razzie.
2: Carr was a fascinating guy with a weird and incredible career. For more about him, check out the 2017 documentary, The Fabulous Alan Carr.
3: We head to the lobby now where Jennifer is pouring a cup of coffee and she's listening to Johnny who's on the air. WKRP. Cincinnati.
0: All right, babies. This is the mighty KRP, and I'm Dr. Johnny Fever, the man who turned down the television show that's got Cincinnati dancing till it's dizzy. I'm talking about Got to Dance on Channel Eleven every
3: afternoon at four.
2: I love how Johnny is promoting his own show by claiming he turned it down.
3: Had you been listening to the original airing in 1981, the intro to "Sympathy for the Devil" by the Rolling Stones would have been playing behind Johnny. It sounded. Like this. All
0: right, babies, this is the mighty KRP, and I'm Dr. Johnny Fever, the man who turned down the television show that's got Cincinnati dancing until it's dizzy. I'm talking about Gotta Dance on Channel Eleven every afternoon at four. I, Riptide is not my kind of guy. But you gotta admit the man is packed with charisma. The cat is hot, and you know I wouldn't lie to you.
2: Me to
3: this is the second time that Shout Factory was not able to clear sympathy. Thanks to the Big D, Dale Kovar, we pulled that original clip from his amazing set of recreated discs.
2: Andy comes into the lobby and goes to Jennifer's desk to check his mail and messages. He glances at the speaker on the wall, then goes back to looking through the mail. And if you watch his lips, you can see he is... Mouthing the words to the beginning of Sympathy for the Devil. Please
3: allow me to introduce myself. You can see him saying that even though we've got this generic clip playing in the Shout Factory disc. Now, the first time Sympathy for the Devil appeared in the series, that was during Season 2, Episode 19, In Concert. Check out the In Concert podcast episode for all the details on the song Sympathy for the Devil.
2: We can hear Johnny on the air as he continues his spiel. Tide is
3: not my
0: kind of guy. got
2: to admit that the the cat is hot and you know I wouldn't like. Jennifer walks over and turns the volume down on the speaker.
4: That's Johnny promoting himself.
2: Andy tells her it's okay with him. Jennifer's surprised. Andy tells her it sounds like he's cooking. Jennifer says he's behaving like a madman.
3: Someone else is new, huh? Jennifer goes on to explain.
2: Well, he doesn't know whether he's Dr. Johnny Fever or this new ripped
4: tie person who, by the way, kisses instead of shaking hands.
3: Andy smiles and tells her technically he's neither. He's really Johnny Caravella.
2: Oh, good. Now he's three people. That's even better. Johnny comes walking into the lobby and he's wearing a shiny silver tank top. (laughs) Tucked into tight, shiny blue spandex pants, which are tucked into shiny silver boots. He's also wearing a black sequined jacket with rainbow highlights down each sleeve and a black cap with a sequined starburst on top.
3: The audience reaction to Johnny's outfit is great. That outfit is so over the top. You cannot help but laugh.
2: Johnny, or er, Rip, smiles and walks over to Andy Asking where he's been. Andy tells him he's been in Columbus for a couple days' vacation. Columbus? Yeah. Andy tells him yes, he likes Columbus. Hey,
3: we like Columbus too. Columbus is the state capital of Ohio. It's a city of 878,000 with a metro population of 2.1 million. Columbus is 107 miles northeast of Cincinnati. You can drive there from Cincinnati in about an hour and 40 minutes if you stay on I-71 North.
2: Andy is looking Johnny up and down, and he asks him why he's dressed like he is. Johnny looks down at his outfit like he'd forgotten what he was wearing. <laughs> Using his best Riptide voice, he tells Andy... We old
0: Ripper's got a promo appearance this afternoon at a supermarket opening. Johnny
2: tells Andy the kids love him.
0: But he loves them right back. Okay, that's a little creepy.
2: <laughs> Winking at Andy, he says...
0: My wink is my word, diggy-boo. <laughs> <laughs> diggy-boo.
2: <laughs> Johnny blows a kiss at Jennifer and walks out of the lobby as Jennifer rolls her eyes. <laughs> We cut
3: to the television studio where Venus and Bailey are walking into the darkened studio. We'll just sit him right down and we'll convince him.
4: Right. Tough cop. Nice cop. Right. I'm the tough cop.
3: No, no, I'm the tough cop. You're the nice cop. You be nice, I'll be hard. Right. Good cop, bad cop really is an interrogation technique used by law enforcement. The bad cop is aggressive and threatening. The good cop comes in all sympathetic and supportive. The approach was developed in the 1950s by psychologist and former Chicago police officer John Reed. It is also referred to as the Reed technique.
2: We cut to Johnny's dressing room. Johnny is lying back on Avis as she rubs his shoulders. She's telling him about the new strobe lights when there's a knock. Put him in the show today. Man. Venus and Bailey enter. Bailey looks a little bit surprised as Johnny quickly hops up from the couch. He gives Bailey the kiss-kiss greeting and introduces her to Avis. Avis tells Bailey she's heard so much about her. And then she blows Johnny a kiss and tells him she'll see him on stage.
3: Johnny offers Bailey and Venus drinks, but they decline. Johnny asks, what brings him down? I know you want to see us do the show live, right? Venus tells Johnny, no, that rip voice just kills me. I
2: hate that voice. It just,
3: I love it.
0: It cracks me up. Okay, okay, okay. I know why you're here. Matter of fact, I've just been wondering when this was going to happen. I mean, this is the part where you tell me it's necessary to save my
3: soul, right? Bailey tells him it's something like that. Johnny says he appreciates their friendship, but their concern is unnecessary.
2: Sitting down at his makeup table, Johnny tells him he's okay. He asks them to let him enjoy himself a little longer. He picks up a powder puff and touches up his face as he goes on. A
0: little notoriety. A little bread for a change.
2: Mm.
0: You want me to look this gift horse in the mouth?
2: Uh, no. Well, Johnny asks Venus for an answer and... Venus shakes his head, no.
3: Getting up from his makeup table, Johnny just instantly becomes Riptide. Hey, I
2: really love you guys to death. Hug, hug, hug. <laughs> hug,
3: <Johnny> hug, hugs <laughs> them both at the same time doing that hug, hug, hug. Okay, you kids, make yourselves at home. Johnny does a kiss-kiss at them as he leaves, shutting the door behind him. Bailey looks at Venus. They're both kind of stunned.
2: Was I the tough cop or the nice cop? <laughs> we fade into the set of Gotta Dance, where a room full of teens are dancing. Back in 1981, they were dancing to La Freak by Chic. Again, we get sideways camera shots and close-ups of girls' rear ends as the camera moves through the kids on the dance floor. Shout Factory couldn't get the rights to La Freak, so we hear a generic bit of instrumental over the first dance segment. The song fades and the scene transitions as we go into I Love the Nightlife by Alicia Bridges. Shout Factory was able to get permission for the Alicia Bridges clip.
3: Now, Rip's cuts may be disco, but they were monster hits. La Freque by Chic was a huge number one in 1979. It sold more than 7 million copies and has, believe it or not, been selected by the Library of Congress for preservation based on its cultural and artistic significance. <gasps>
2: American R&B singer Alicia Bridges recorded I Love the Nightlife in 1978. The cut went to number 5 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. It also found worldwide fame, placing in the top 10 in Australia, Belgium, Canada, the Netherlands, and South Africa.
0: Hey, we're really rolling now, kiddies. And we'll be right back with our big new dance contest segment, huh? But before we do that, I want to say one thing to all of you out there. God love each and every one of you. And just be stirred and stay tuned because the old ripper is going to get everybody ripped. So stick around because there's a whole lot more coming on. Gotta dance!
3: He has his sequin jacket draped over his shoulders. <laughs> he shrugs off the jacket from the shoulders at this point, revealing. As if it couldn't get any weirder, he's wearing a skin-tight sequined tank top, and he continues to dance into the break.
2: This is the point where the episode was cut for syndication. Even the Be Sure to Stay Tuned talk bit was created with syndication in mind. The episode continued the first night it aired, but for every syndication run, you had to at least wait until tomorrow to get the rest of the episode.
3: Sorry, gang, but we're going to make you wait two weeks for the end of this one. We'll be taking the week off between Christmas and New Year's. Be watching for a holiday-themed rerun. And have a great holiday. Then on Tuesday, January 4th,
2: what's our episode, Donna? Dr. Fever and Mr. Tide Part 2. Johnny continues to host Gotta Dance as his alter ego Rip Tide. The Ripper is gaining a lot of popularity in the market as Johnny is fighting within himself to keep Rip at bay. The worst aspects of Rip's personality come through as Johnny seemingly loses control of the sleazy character he's unleashed. Johnny is forced to take desperate measures to stop The Ripper.
3: That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. And for more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRP cast for behind the scenes fun,
2: full interviews and more. Got a question, comment or correction? Let us know about it write us wkrpcast at gmail.com and
3: remember to please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. thanks for listening bye y'all may the good news be yours WKRP Cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
0: most god fella baby is <laughs> booger <laughs>